gym owners, directors, coaches, can you relate to this? You say to yourself, this season is going to be different. We're going to get all of our teams on the same page. Or maybe you're saying, we're going to get all of our coaches on the same page. You look out as the teams are practicing or maybe as they are competing and you know you can do more. Let me help you. I work with several gyms, large and small, each season, whether it's the summer and we do a coaches clinic or a stunt camp, or it's during the season and we do an in-person routine cleaning. I even do routine video reviews if you're just looking for some thorough feedback of the routine. You send me your routine and I send you a video back of your routine with everything I would fix and how I would fix it. Teams I have worked with have gone on to be world champions, NCAA all-star champions, NCAA collegiate champions, summit champions, and D2 summit champions. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can reach me via email at jasonlarkins@me.com. Or you can DM me on Instagram at Jason Larkins. And we're on. This is the Let's Talk Cheer podcast, and I am your host, Jason Larkins, where we talk cheer, we talk life, and we talk whatever comes to mind. Five, six, seven, eight. Let's get started. Turn it up and tune in into Let's Talk Cheer with Jason Larkins. We're talking cheer, we're talking like we know we're always talking. So listen up, you boy, I'm about to go all in. Five, six, seven, eight, we're on. Let's begin. This is episode number 71. Not sure if there's going to be a 72, but thank you for joining. We have a great episode for you guys today. Today we have on Ryan Johnson, the head cheer coach at Hawaii Pacific University. Now, fun fact, my sister cheered and graduated from HPU, so shout out to HPU. But before we get into that, do us a favor and share this podcast with someone who's getting ready for college. Maybe college cheerleading, maybe they're a senior, maybe they have a son or a daughter, maybe they coach, but someone who's getting ready for college or college cheerleading, share this episode with them. We talk lots about HPU, but we also talk about getting ready for college cheer in general. I'm the cheer director at American Cheer, AKSC.com, sharing with you my life, running a program, managing a staff, coaching the athletes, and working with the parents. And on the other side of the microphone is a man ready to bring HPU back to its glory days. A man who knows a thing or two about being a part of a championship program. Former OSU cheerleader, former Navarro cheerleader, former cheer athletic wildcat. And speaking of cheer athletics, make sure that you are subscribed because we have a guest coming up from cheer athletics here pretty soon. You're not going to want to miss that. But I digress. Without further ado, my conversation with Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, the man, the myth, the legend. It's been a long, long time since we've uh, been trying to get this together, but here we are, ready to bring back the program, HPU. How you been, man? I've been great. I've been fantastic. Just living the dream, living back out here in Hawaii, loving life. Dude, there we go. All right, so let's let's hop straight into this. Tell the people, how did you, actually, I don't know this story, actually. How did you get involved in cheer? Yeah, so I was actually a freshman in high school playing football. I grew up playing football, baseball, basketball, and some of the senior girls, uh, came over to me and some of my football buddies and they're like, Hey, do y'all want to try out for cheer? And we're like, that'll be easy. Yeah, of course we can do that. <laughs> so we went to practice and found out quickly. It was not easy. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. So then it turns into a challenge and you're like, well, I can't let the girls be better than me. So we got to get good at this. Um, so I did high school cheer for one year, my freshman year, and I got into all-star competitive cheer uh, that same year at a gym in Oklahoma that was just starting called tribe. It was spirit station turned into tribe. Um, 
when they were building a lot of a lot of teams and growing and all of that stuff. So actually, these the two owners at the time, David Ermey and Aramis Gill, they um, were like, "Hey, came to camp, saw us, said you should come and cheer for us at Tribe." And it was in Moore, Oklahoma. I was living in Purcell, Oklahoma, at the time. It was about a twenty-five minute drive. I was like fifteen, just turning sixteen, and I didn't have a car. I was like, "I can't. <laughs> I would love to, but I can't." And David's like, "I'll come pick you up for practice." I was like, "Really?" He's like. Yeah, so he would come to Purcell and pick up like three three of us guys to go to this uh, practice at Tribe. I was on that team for two years, uh, two or three years, and I got to the point where he literally had like one car for him and his wife and their new newborn baby. And it got to the point where he would literally let me take his Dodge Durango from Moore to Purcell overnight to go to school just so I could be at the gym <laughs> at practice. So he, he really wanted us there. And yeah, uh, that's whenever my junior year of high school, actually, I moved to Moore, Oklahoma to coach at tribe and cheer at tribe and live with David and Candace, his wife. Um, they were just, I'm forever grateful for them because they are the reason why I am where I am today because they were just so selfless and, and willing to help me out. And like I said, let me live with them for free, give me a job, all of those things. And I was just in the gym grinding and stunting and doing all of that. Um, and I was blessed whenever I learned how to stunt and cheer because I was taught by people like Anita Pluto, Nicole Grazier, you know, any of the Ramsey, Zach Brennan, all these people at OU, uh, when yeah. OU was yeah. great back in the day. And so they just kept teaching me. And I was in the gym my sophomore and junior year, just all summer long, stunting, stunting. And I'm left-handed. So I had to learn everything left-handed first because I wasn't strong enough to do it with my right. So then when I get to college, people are like, well, you're mm -hmm. cheating because you're left-handed. I'm like, no, I wasn't strong enough with my right hand to hit the stunt. So I had to do it with my <laughs> left first. Um, but they kept teaching me and training me and I was doing rewind lefts and rewind rights and full up lefts and full up rights, like my junior and senior year of high school. But, and they said that that was good, but they never said, Hey, that's what they're doing in college. So here I am thinking, okay, when I get to college, I got to work really hard at this tryout because everybody's going to be amazing. Um, and the trial was good, but I got there and I was like, Oh, cause I went on a couple of recruit trips my senior year. And I was like, these people are learning toss to hands. I thought that I was, I thought I was behind, but I'm actually way ahead. And I understand why they didn't tell yeah. me that that was what they were doing in college because I would have got a big head and thought that I was just better than I was. So I was very appreciative of that. And then the gym went from having a large co-ed team at Tribe to small co-ed. And I just didn't do small co-ed because I stunned it. And so David and Aramis were like, hey, we'll support you no matter what you want to do. So at the time, Shannon Young was actually living in Oklahoma and he had a gym called Cheer Dynamics. So I went to camp with them, uh, with some of my friends. That's in the Tulsa area. And Jenny Hawkins actually was a coach at Tribe, and she took me to that camp uh, with Cheer Dynamics, and uh, it was fun and all that stuff. But that same summer, I wanted to go to Cheer Athletics and go to camp with Wildcats, because obviously Wildcats was the dream. Yeah. You know, you're cheering for a couple of years, and you see Cheer Athletics Wildcats, and you're like, man, I I want to do that one day. I want to be part of that one day. And then I, I just finally was like, you know what? I'm going to go try out. So I started driving down in the summers uh, or before tryouts. And this was 2004. So this was, this was, uh, I think Mandy Wyden was talking about it whenever the first year of Supercats and Worlds and stuff. So we're driving down and I actually had met Mandy and Jamie Mitchum and all those uh, people from Wildcats, Brandon Burton uh, throughout the year, a couple of past couple of years, because the competitions, you see everybody. It's there wasn't Instagram, Twitter wasn't huge. Yeah. So it was like you saw each other on MySpace, you know. <laughs> and so um you go to the other page and you see what song they got playing. Are you in the top eight? Are you not in the top eight? Is Tom your sure. friend? All of that stuff. 
So we were driving down. I would drive down on the weekends. It was me and a couple other guys, uh, a guy named Tyler and a guy named Grant. And we would literally stay at Mandy Weidman's parents' house. And I don't know if you've ever been to her house. Uh, unfortunately, it, it caught fire and burned down, electrical fire, I think, mm -hmm. uh, a couple years back. It burned down. It was in Allen, Texas. And when I tell you this is the coolest house I've ever been in in my entire life. From the outside, it's like three, three stories that you could see. You go in and it's like in the library, the two-story library, there's like a bookshelf that opens up to a spiral staircase to a hidden bedroom. And then in her room, you push on the mirror, it opens up to an upstairs hidden bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> the whole bottom floor was like a 50s cafe. 50s cafe. They had a costume room. They had a game room. They had a theater room. We spent many days and nights in there just doing stupid stuff, uh, being a high school yeah, kids. Yeah, for sure. And so training, getting ready to try out, getting ready to try out for Wildcats and – like I said, it was, there were three of us, and we were driving down from Oklahoma, a three-hour drive, one way. <laughs> and so she, she told us, I was listening to her podcast, and she was saying uh, how Brad told her that she would never be on Wildcats. And I, I kind, of, kind of a similar story with Brad. So, Dude, what's Brad doing, man? Like, I've only known Brad as a nice guy. Like, this guy's <laughs> – I've only known him as a nice guy. And he's just like, yo, you can't, ma you can't make it either, Ryan. I hope you're listening. <laughs> no, he's – He's, no, he didn't say that. It was better. He was he builds character. It's great. No, so um, it's like I said, it's a three hour drive. So we're getting ready to come up on the weekend. Like we'd had tryouts, and so I called Brad. I was like, "Hey, just wanted to see, you know, if if any of us three made the team. Because if so, we're gonna plan on, you know, coming down for practice this weekend." And Brad was like, "Hey, Ryan, thanks for trying out. Uh, I just want to let you know that none of you three made it." I was like, "Okay," and I, I'm very humbled. I'm like, "Okay," in my mind, I'm like, "Okay, what do I got to do for next year to mm -hmm. try out?" Okay, what do I need to work on? And he's like, I'm kidding. All three of you made it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like sitting there like 17 years old in my car, like on my, on my cell phone, my flip phone, razors, trying yeah. to talk to Brad Habermill. And he was just so fun about it. And I just, my heart went from stopping to beating really fast. And he's like, I'm kidding. All three of you made it. We're so happy to have you. And that was actually my senior year. So I actually played football even through my senior year. So I'd wake up Monday through Thursday and go to school. The last class of the day was at two o'clock. It was football practice. So then I would go to football practice. And then after that, I'd get done at five. Then I'd go to work. I delivered pizza at mm -hmm. Pizza Hut. Best job yeah. ever. And so then Friday night, the game would come and I would play the game, a uh, uh, football game on Friday night. Saturday morning, I would drive three hours to Cheer Athletics, uh, to Dallas, and be there Saturday and Sunday for mm -hmm. practice and drive home Sunday night, the three hours. And that was my senior yeah. year. And then, um, Obviously, it paid off. It was a lot of fun. Some of the best people I've ever met. We were really close with all the girls on Panthers. And, you know, Brandon Burton was on Wildcats. Whitney Burton was on Panthers. Cassie Tremble. All those McKenzie Spice. Just so many amazing people uh, in that program. And then that's whenever I actually decided that I obviously wanted to cheer in college because I didn't have the size or speed to play mm -hmm. football. And I got into cheer because like, you could get scholarships. You could get yeah. scholarships. And so – I was on Wildcats uh, 04, 05, and then 06 was my where I tried out and made Navarro. So I was on Navarro 2006 and 2007. So my first year on Navarro, I did Wildcats because uh, that was the first year that it went by age and not yeah. grade. Once you graduated, you were done. It went by age, so you could basically yep. super senior or whatever. And that year was the best year, 2006. We won Worlds. It was just – we won Grand at Worlds. It was amazing. Um, but the bonds I have with those teams because we were – 18, 19 years old at the time and running around Dallas and Mandy Weidman's white convertible Mustang mm -hmm. just 
the craziness. And I remember when all the prolix stuff started coming around because she, her and Jamie would come to practice and they'd be wearing this prolix. I'm like, what is that? Like, we can't tell you. We can't tell you. And we're like, what extreme cheerleading? What do you do? A back tuck in the back of a movie yeah. truck going through a yellow light? I don't Basically. understand what's going on. <laughs> right. So um, then it came out and it was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, then you see all these people that were idols that you saw, you know, um, Anita obviously was part of it. And that's who taught me how to stunt. Um, and so seeing people like that and then watching, obviously, Michael Mann, April Weaver's video is just to this day would still win any competition you ever put him up against because it's just ridiculous. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they were far ahead of their time. And a lot of people in that, uh, the Paras Pro X were ahead of their time. So got to Navarro, fell in love with the program, fell in love uh, with Monica as a person and a coach and a mentor. She became my second mom. Um, and to this day, I, I am still very close with her. And I would I would give anything for that woman. I was in Texas uh, last month or the month before for her daughter's wedding. And so that was, gosh, that was 2006. So here we are, 2022. So the bond has stayed there throughout the years. And um, obviously, like I said, cheering for Monica was one of the greatest things I ever got to do. Uh, I've had some amazing coaches in my life. Um, like I said, David Ermey, Aramis Gill, Jenny Hawkins at Tribe, who is at Twist and Shout now. Um, meeting people like Shannon Young, who's now at uh, ICE uh, in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And so then going to Wildcats. Brad and Angela still to this day are some of my favorite people in the world. Angela was out here a couple months back uh, with her daughters and she came to the gym and we could hang out for a bit, which was cool. And then Monica, obviously it was amazing. And so then after Navarro, my first year went back for my second year. Uh, and at that time you were at SFA at that yeah. time. And so I would always come up, we'd always come up on the weekends and basically everybody from Navarro and Trinity Valley went to uh, SFA. That was where they went. You know, it was before everybody started going to Weber or tech or whatever it was um, at the time they were going to HPU or SFA. Um, and so I wanted to go to SFA. SFA was the dream. SFA was where I wanted to be. I, you know, I was like, I'm going there. All my friends go there. My step going quick, there. Everybody's going there. It's crazy um, how it's weird to describe the dynamic between those three schools, between SFA and Navarro and Trinity Valley. Like when I try to tell people like, how do you know him? I was like, oh, yeah, he was at Navarro when I was at SFA or they were at Trinity Valley when I was at SFA. And the teams just – we all kind of hung out like a lot. Like not really – like, but they would just yeah. – so you yeah. just knew everyone on those teams. Like, yeah, we're like an hour and a half or two hours – I can't remember, like two hours from, from Corsicana at SFA. But it was like – it was yeah. it was a really cool yeah. experience. Um, just those three teams, how we just knew everyone on those teams at that time, especially with social media not being the way it is. Like we literally were – you guys would drive up or we would go down or whatever and actually just yeah. hang out. Right. So anyway, but yeah, so yeah, you're about to break our hearts because it, it was back then it was a lock. If you went to Trinity Valley or Navarro, you were coming to SFA. Like that was the thing, but you, you yeah. didn't come to yeah. SFA. Um, I'll let, I'll let you continue to let the people know where you went. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so, SFA was the dream. That's what I wanted to do. I, I worked hard for it and all my friends went and for some reason, something in the back of my mind, SFA had the latest trial of any program and something in the back of my mind said, Ryan, what, what if you don't make it? What if you don't make this team? Um, then you don't have anywhere to go because that's the last tryout of the year. And I don't think at the time, a lot of coaches thought about strategically placing their tryouts at a time where obviously you want to go early so people commit to you mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Um, so I literally I, I doubted 
that I was going to make it. So I called Garen Gosnell, who was the coach of HP at the time, who traded SFA, obviously. Um, and I said, hey, I, I want to send you a video for a tryout to come and cheer at Hawaii Pacific University. Um, he's like, yeah, great, send it. And so I sent it to him, and he's like, are you trying out anywhere else? I was like, I, I, I wanted to try out at SFA, but I, I don't know if I would make it or not. And um, But you're, this is the only place I'm trying out, so I'm not going to try out at SFA. I'm just trying out here at Hawaii Pacific. And he's like, okay, you're on, and you're on scholarship, 100%. I was like, done. <laughs> I won't try out anywhere else. I won't, you know, that's where I'm going. So then that next weekend, I went to SFA tryouts with all my friends and watched all my friends mm-hmm. try out. And saw that You're I would like, have made, made it, and he would have made it. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I gave Garen my word, and you know, I, I shouldn't have doubted myself, but I gave Garen my word, and I was like, I'll give you, I'll give you this year because you took a chance, and you know, I made the team and was on scholarship. So then it was me and two other guys from Navarro went to uh, Hawaii Pacific. My best friend, uh, Laura Sampson, and this other guy, Tyler. Uh, he's actually in the military now, doing some like basically the military version of the FBI, mm-hmm. all that stuff, but. He, he failed out of, <laughs> love the guy to death, but he failed out of uh, HPU like first semester because he had an amazing apartment in Waikiki and he failed out because, not because he was out enjoying the island, he was sitting at home playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> and I, I laughed so hard at that because it's like people, people that's the dream, you know, to yeah, live in Hawaii and cheer and stuff. Um, so I was like, man, that's what you're doing? Yeah, I think he was dating Melanie Gomez at the time. Um, but crazy, crazy thing there. So I went to Hawaii, and like I said, I was living with my best friend, Laura Sampson, who didn't have a standing tuck at the time. I shared with him on Wildcat, shared with him on Navarro, but he was just a bigger guy. He was a center guy, and so he didn't have a standing tuck. And so when he sent his video to HPU, um, unfortunately, he didn't make it. And he, I, I felt he should have, but he didn't. Um, but we were, we were set to go to HPU anyway, and uh, I was like, man, come to practice. Just come to practice. Just come to practice. And he's, he's stubborn and hard-headed. He's like, no, no, I didn't, I didn't make the team, so I'm not going to come to practice. I was like, man, you're, you're going to get put on the team when Garen sees you, and you know, you're in person, and you're putting in the time. That was the first year, I think, in the history of the program that everybody that made HPU went to the island mm. and was on HPU. Every other year before and every other year after, there's always a handful, one or two or three people that make the team that don't end up making the commitment to come to HPU. Um, and so everybody did. But then, of course, a couple of people failed out or got kicked off or whatever it was. And I was, it was so frustrating and upsetting to me because Lars was my best friend. And I, it killed me to see him not be part of the program and part of the team because I knew he deserved it. Mm-hmm. You know, just it bothered me that other people kind of took it for granted that, oh, I got a spot and then I'm just going to fail out. It's like, man, that's, that's heartbreaking. Um, so we're there for, I was there for a year and I loved it. But I, I was 20 years old, turned 21 years old. Um, so I was, I was pretty young, but it forces you to grow up a lot. I treated with your sister. She was on small yep. code. Actually, um, she lived on the 23rd floor or 25th floor. And I lived on the 17th floor of Harbor square in downtown. So it was a perfect little setup there. <laughs> um, but after that, I was like, man, I want to go. I always wanted to go to the university of Oklahoma because I was from there. My pro I grew up 10 minutes away. My prom was held at, at the student union at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. OU football is my favorite thing in the world. And so I was like, you know what? Let's, let's go home and go to Oklahoma. And so me and Lars sent videos to Brandy at the time, who was the coach, who recruited me, tried to recruit me out of high school forever and ever. And we both made it. And she calls and she's like, so I won't be your coach. You'll have another coach. I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, uh, I'm leaving to go take over another program. Uh, she's taking over, I think, Oklahoma City University mm-hmm. at the time. And so went to Oklahoma and 
uh, game day there was phenomenal. It was like the, the, the coolest thing in the world to be on the field running Sam Bradford and DeMarco Murray yeah. and all these people out onto the field. So when I was there for, for two years, the sports were amazing. Blake Griffin was on the basketball team, so basketball games were fun. Uh, we went to the national championship for football, so that was fun. Um, but cheer, cheer just wasn't what I thought it was yeah. going to be there. And obviously the big difference is for me is NCA versus UCA. I never grew up doing UCA. I always grew up doing NCA all about start the music, do the circus performance music's over. Yeah. Then you're done. That's where UCA is a lot slower. Jog, 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 clean, yep. set, go. A lot slower pace, still amazing skills and they're phenomenally talented. Some of those programs are the best in the world. It's just not my style. So I wasn't really happy at OU doing doing um, UCA and growing up at OU. You committed the ultimate sin. <laughs> the I ultimate sin. The only thing worse, the only thing worse I could have done was go from University of Oklahoma to the University of yeah. Texas. Um, so Oklahoma State is the in-state rival for the University of Oklahoma, and I grew up hating Oklahoma State. Hated the color orange. My rival in high school was orange, and I hated it. You know, so. I saw what uh, some of my friends that were at Oklahoma State, and obviously I had met Leroy, and I was doing uh, staff. I was doing NCAA high school and college staff, and I was like, man, I I just I loved what Leroy stood for and what he did, what he was doing with the program, and I just wanted to get back to that because that's what I had at Navarro. That's what I had at HP with Garen. Garen, Garen was one of my favorite coaches because you get two hours worth of practice done in two hours, and that's kind of how I run my practice. Not a lot of standing around. You warm up and you go. Time is limited. If you waste that time, you find yourself rushing on the back end, trying to get prepared for competition. So that that was one thing that I learned from Garen that I really liked that I coached that same way. Um, so got got talking to Leroy and some of the, my friends that were at Oklahoma State. And I was like, man, thinking about coming to try out. And they're like, yeah, you should, you should, you should. So I went, I was living at, uh, in Norman, going to the University of Oklahoma with Lars. We were roommates at Navarro, <laughs> Hawaii, uh, Hawaii Pacific, and then back in Oklahoma. And I went to him one day. We had two separate jobs, but I went to him and I was like, hey, man, I, I think I'm going to go try at Oklahoma State. And him being my best friend in the world and one of the best people I know, I was fully expecting him to go, don't do that. That's dumb. Just stay mm-hmm. here. Finish out. Oklahoma's awesome. But he didn't because he's the kind of person that he is. He was like, you should do that, Ryan. You should absolutely do that. You, you've worked hard. You, you would make that team. You deserve to be on that team. You should do that. And like, I just wasn't expecting it. And that's, that's when I knew uh, it was even solidified even more that he was my best friend yeah. in the world. Um, so I went and tried out and I, I made Oklahoma state. And so I cheered there for two years and my first year, my first year, we were amazing. Our routine was unreal. The problem with that first year was it's the only time in my entire life in my cheer career in the 20 plus years of cheering, doing routines, the first ever full out that we did in 2011 at practice, we hit zero. There we go. Small code was there cheering us on. The music stopped and the music stopped and everybody was silent. Everyone was like, did did that just happen? It's, this is an eerie feeling. We don't know what to feel. We don't know what to be excited. We don't know what's going on. It feels like Friday the 13th you know, it's spooky. (laughs) And so that was the only time we ever hit that routine zero <laughs> pull out. So, but because of that, as we're, as we're going, the, the elite sound was something stupid, like round off, rewind, awesome, hands full around something, but it was hit, it hit. And 
So then after that, it turned into things are missing and we're going, we can hit it. We've already hit zero. We can do this. We can do this. I wish two stunts would have fell that first time and we would have changed the routine <laughs> later down the road. But everybody, everybody in Leroy, us, everybody was like, no, we can do this. We can do this. Um, turned out, in fact, we could not yeah. do this. And so then at Nationals, um, we dropped stunts both days. Um, and it just, you know, the doubt crept yeah. in and we didn't, didn't execute and perform. And so it was a, it was a first year cause I won one at Navarro, one at Navarro, one at HPU. And then obviously UCA was for OU then Oklahoma is my first time, uh, in Daytona not winning. And we got third and we deserved third with the routine that we put out there. I wasn't, I was like, no, we deserve to win. We deserve second. We deserve third place. We, we earned third place. Um, and so, so got, uh, that next second that year, I'm assuming Louisville won. That's just a guess. Who got Louisville won Texas tech, Texas tech, tech got second. Yeah. There you go. Yep. And then my last year, my senior year, my super, 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 super senior year, if you're keeping track of the years of college um, <laughs> at Oklahoma state was 2012. And that was by far one of my favorite years also, because it was my going out on a, with a bang year. The team was phenomenal. Um, I think we had a, we had a bunch of rookies that year that were, it was like Whitney Love came and which was huge because she was a Kentucky girl. She was, you know, she mm-hmm. was gym time. We, everyone thought for sure she was going to go to Louisville. And, but Leroy used to coach at gym time and coach at Louisville. And so he knew he'd known her and Debbie Love for many years. So then Whitney comes and then this, this guy, Tucker Hunter comes, who's just a little, yeah. a little tiny little tumbler who could barely do a toss off and worked his butt off. Um, and he was a great, great person to, to come in uh and we just worked so hard in that we did this thing called daytona dreams it was basically the cheer documentary before the yep. cheer documentary was a thing and one of the girls on our team nikki she was a senior and for her for her major for her project whatever she basically did like these four or five or six episodes called daytona dreams and it followed us around through practice through games through warm-up through all of that stuff through our journey through daytona um, through getting yelled at at practice because we're dropping pyramids and deservedly mm-hmm. so to just basically the raw emotion that Netflix cheer did. We did it on a smaller scale and yeah. it was the coolest thing in the world because going back to Daytona and then winning was just the, the greatest feeling in the world. So my last year to share in college, graduating, went out with a bang in 2012 and just loved it. So yep. obviously SFA was the dream, but if, if things wouldn't have fallen into place the way that they had, I wouldn't have gone to Hawaii. I wouldn't have gone to OU. I wouldn't have met my best friend. I wouldn't have, you know, done all these things. So looking back, I, I would have loved to have cheered at SFA and my life would have been in a completely different direction. And I would have probably been just as happy. Um, but everything happens for a reason. So in 2012, after I graduated, I moved back down to, I went to the corporate world first off for a couple of years, did engineer recruiting, worked for corporate AT&T on the wireless side, on the wireline side did oil and gas, was a landman, uh, did all kinds of stuff. And I just wasn't my passion. I did not like it. I'm like, I went to college, got a degree. I need to use this degree. I hated it. Um, my passion is coaching, working with kids of all ages, from the little ones all the way up to college uh, and even adults. So I got back into coaching and I was down in Texas at Excite uh, for about four years. And that's that's one of my favorite places in the world is Excite. Uh, Julie, um, Julie Hutchins is the owner there. And to this day, I, I love my bosses that I have, my owners here. Um, but no matter what job I've ever had, Julie is the best boss I've ever had. 
She's truly yeah. selfless. She cares about people. She you know she does everything she can to help others. And and you know she's had amazing coaches that just kind of walked out on her and went to other places. And she just humbly smiled and said, "I, I wish you well." And that's just the kind of person that she is. So, funny story. My second year at Navarro, there was no international team at Chair Athletics. So all the Navarro kids, we went and did Excite in the World team. And so uh, that was probably one of my funnest years at Worlds. I think we got fourth, but the people and just the, the team itself was just the funnest, one of my funnest trips uh, to Worlds. And so I'm forever grateful for Julie Hutchins. Like I said, I worked there for, I think, like four years um, with a bunch of HPU people, you know, Allison, her daughter, um, went to SFA and then went to HPU. Um, yep. And she's actually married to one of my good friends, Eli Howard, who I was roommates with at Oklahoma State and cheered with. Such a small world, the cheer world. So yeah, sure. then I decided, um, you know what, I want to go, I want to, I want to travel. I want to go international. I want to, you know, so I'd met David James and Chantel James, the owners of Outlaws in Australia, because they had come up to do different teams at Tri Athletics uh, a couple different years. And I had known them for a couple of years and I was like, you know what, let's, let me see if I can go coach there for a year. That would be so cool. And so I reached out to Dave and he was like, yeah, man, let's make it happen. So so uh, they basically sponsored me on a work visa. I paid half, they paid half to make sure that we were both mutually understanding that we both want this. And so um, 2000, and whenever I told Julie I was gonna go to Australia, you know, like I said, best person in the world. She was like, I'm so excited for this opportunity for you, Ryan. She wasn't like, I'm sad that I'm losing a coach because we're gonna be shorthanded in this. She cared about me and was like, I'm, this is such an amazing opportunity. I'm so happy for you, which was awesome. So get everything set up to um, go to Australia. And two weeks before uh, I moved, or maybe it was a month or so before I moved to Australia, um, Sam Han was living in Australia. He met me in Hawaii and I flew from Texas. He flew from Hawaii and we were here for a week or so. Um, and I hadn't been to 10 years since I lived here. And mm -hmm. it was just like the coolest thing in the world. We got to do all the stuff we never got to do before. And we had friends on the island. We borrowed their car and went out, did all this stuff. And it was just cool to get back to Hawaii. And I'd always wanted to go back to Hawaii. I just, it was, it was real. I'm a big mama's boy. I love my mom. She's my, the best person in the world. Um, my favorite person in the world. I didn't want to be that far away from her permanently. I went to Australia for a year and I was going to come back. Um, so then a couple weeks later, I went and did a, a clinic in Seattle, Washington with Cali Seitzer and with, uh, Inspire Camps. And I think it was Sonic, Sonic Elite, I believe. And she's a lot of fun. Just got to, I'd never been to Seattle. Um, we're just running around Seattle, kind of like bar hopping, looking at different places. And we actually walked into this one called the alligator or crocodile or something. We're sitting down there eating and, uh, we're on the walls. There's like, obviously like Kurt Cobain from Nirvana and things like that. And mm -hmm. like, Oh, these are cool pictures. Like, Oh yeah, actually these are the, this is the first place that Nirvana ever played music and, uh, mm -hmm. Soundgarden and yeah. all those places. I'm like, wow, it's cool. It's cool. Whenever you look up those places and you go to them, but it's even cooler when you just stumble upon it. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And so, so I was like, well, that was cool. But then that's when Callie was like, Hey, do you want to go work before you go to Australia? Do you want to go to work in Hawaii for two weeks, um, at this gym called Island Elite? Um, and I was like, uh, yeah, I couldn't say, couldn't raise my hand and say yes fast enough. Um, so I was like, yeah. So I, I'd already told my boss, uh, Julie, I'd excited that I was leaving and we'd already transitioned me out. And so I went to uh, Hawaii to work with Island Elite and had a blast. The gym owners were great. The coaches were great. The kids were great. 
Um, being back in Hawaii was great. Um, and I was like, cool, I'm going to go, you know. The owner was like, hey, do you want to come work here? And I was like, actually, I have a contract. I'm going to Australia for a year. Um, but I'll keep that in mind for sure. Um, so when I was in Hawaii, my grandma visiting and working with Island Elite, my grandma texted me. She's like, hey, you need to call your mom. She's in the hospital. I'm like, what? Okay. So I call her and she's like, yeah, just, I, I had the, I had the flu and I just in the hospital. I'm just feeling tired and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, you know, well, I'll be home in a couple of days and I'll come and see you. And she's like, yeah, I love that. So I, I get home by the time I get back to Oklahoma, she's in the intensive care unit. She's intubated. She's in, in a medically induced coma. They have her on ventilators. They have her on all of this stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, she's, she was, I just talked to her two days ago. So the flu turned into rhinovirus, which turned into ARDS, which I think is called acute respiratory distress syndrome. Um, basically her lungs weren't working. So they were pumping oxygen into her lungs and were her working her lungs for her. And I'm like set to set to move to Australia in a couple of days. And I'm like, I, I can't move. I can't go at me. You know, my mom needs me, you know, I gotta be here. Yeah. And so I was like, my, my grandma, my family, all of them were like, she's going to be fine. They're going to put her on this ECMO treatment that, you know, will will help her. They have her on this rotoprone bed that like every eight hours or whatever, they flip her over so her lungs can expand and she's going to be okay. You know, she, she would want you to go. She'd want you to go and not, and not stay. Um, so I was like hardest decision ever to make. And so I went 15 hour flight <laughs> and I get to Australia and I'd never been there. They picked me up from the airport. And that's the day they're actually having like this field day with their program. It's the largest program mm -hmm. in all of Australia. They have 30 something teams, three locations, I think now. So all these people, and it was just the most welcoming thing I had ever been a part of because yeah. Australian people are just beautiful people. And so I was living with Dave and Chance for about a month before uh, I got my con or my uh, townhouse with some other coaches. So I was there for a week and my, grandma's kid me updated on my mom and then she calls me one morning and she just says she didn't make it yeah and i said okay and i got off the phone and i was just numb and i went to dave and chance and i said and they knew she was sick, so they knew that the situation. And they said, we're going to fly you back to America for a funeral. Anything you need, take as much time as you need. And I did. And that 15-hour flight felt like an eternity. Yeah, so I, I get home, go to her funeral. I'll keep this part short. Um, go to her funeral and then get back to Australia. Being in Australia that first year, because my other grandma had passed away three months before my mom. We were kind of expecting it. She was older and sick, but they were two of my favorite people in the world. Two of the best women I've ever met. Yeah, for sure. And so that first year away from family for obviously Australia doesn't celebrate Thanksgiving because it's not our country. And <laughs> So first year away for Thanksgiving and for Christmas, um, it saved my life because 
it would have been way harder to be around family that first year without them there than it was to be in Australia and be out of sight, out of mind. So it was actually the best thing that ever could have happened to me. So I've, I've healed a lot from that and it's made me stronger. And now I live every day just trying to make her proud. And so I'd always wanted to get back to Hawaii and I just didn't want to leave that live that far away from my mom permanently. Um, and then whenever she passed away, I was like, you know what? I think it's time. I think it's time to get back to Hawaii. Um, everything's kind of lining up. I've been offered a job. Whenever I was on holiday on breaks in Australia, they would fly me to, Island Lee would fly me to uh, Hawaii to work with the teens and, and do private lessons and stuff. And so I was like, okay, my time, I did two seasons at Outlaws um, and they were both phenomenal, working with the Kelly girls and Notorious um, and then some of the other teams, Black Angels, Senior Four, Black Ops, Senior Code Three. I worked at a, a, a company called Dance Entertainment. It was like an hour and a half away in a place called Bacchus Marsh. I would go every Thursday and they just had three teams, three cheer teams that we basically, I was the only coach. We developed them and built these routines. And um, the owner, uh, Amy, and her mom, Sheila, were just beautiful, amazing people. And they were very appreciative because they knew everything about dance and they were phenomenal at dance, but they just didn't know cheer. So they brought me in to, to work with that program. And the open level three, I think, open level two, I believe, uh, we took to competition. The other two, uh, we're just younger, so we didn't take them to competition. We just put st- stuff together so they could do it at like their end of year review and stuff like that. And so we went to competition and we were in a division of like four teams and we ended up getting second, which was phenomenal because none of them had ever done cheer. None of them had ever, you know, competed that way in, in cheer. Uh, and so second place felt like grand champs, you know? And so they were very appreciative and awesome. And just the Australian people in general, I would, I loved my time there. They're just, one thing that I wish was different in America that I love about Australia is in Australia, you start cheer around 16 years old or later. And so there's a lot of open level one, open level two, open level three teams. You can, you can start cheer at 24 years old in Australia and it's socially accepted. In America, you can't do that. Yeah. People would make fun of you. You know, like if you're, if you're a 24 year old male coming into cheer, people are going to be like, what is this creeper doing? You know, like there were guys down there that they just yeah. wanted to cheer and everybody loved it. So I actually, it was, it was funny because I would, I would work with a, a mom that was working on skills that was on a team, do a private lesson. I'd turn around and do a private lesson with her eight year old daughter and they would both, both work just as hard. <laughs> um, and it was just such a cool experience. Um, but I was like, you know, my, it's my time to get back to Hawaii. This opportunity's there and it's time to bring HP cheer back. That's my goal. So growing up, my mom always drew for me and my brother and my sister and for my sister, she'd always draw sunflowers and, uh, color sunflowers and stuff like that. For my brother it was sailboats. And for me, she would always draw me rainbows, always draw me rainbows. And I was like, that's the perfect sign that I'm supposed to be in Hawaii. There's rainbows everywhere. They're on our license yeah. plate, they're on our driver's license the rainbow state like you see them daily it's a sign everything is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing so about two and a half years ago i came uh to hawaii to work at island elite and my goal is to take over hpu and so i was like okay we can do this and about a year ago one of the guys on the team james burns was like keeping me updated with everything because they had a cheer and dance administrator but they didn't have a coach um he's like hey you should see if you can help with tryouts and I was like, absolutely, this is my end, this was my goal. 
Um, so I did all the volunteer paperwork and it basically turned into the back of the cheer and dance administrator at the time saying, Hey, I, I don't know a lot about cheer or dance. I'm just an administrator. So yes, can you please help a child? So it turned into me looking at all the videos um, and basically picking the team. They didn't advertise a lot for it. There wasn't a lot on social media, things like that. So I ended up taking 11 athletes in the program. What, what year is this? This was, this was uh, 2000, 2021. This was last year. Um, okay. And, yeah. yeah. So, so this will be my second full season uh, as the coach. Now, before I get into what we're doing this season and all that, I'm going to go through a little bit of the history of um, HPU Cheer. Yeah, so people need to know, because we were, you know, HPU Cheer was dominant, right? I mean, large co-ed went on some stupid streak, you know, small co-ed, all girl, were winning at a high clip. And, you know, they're one of the most dominant programs in the country at the time. And then they just go away. And I remember talking to someone who's wearing an HPU ring. I think it's actually Shay Crawford. Shout out to Shay Crawford. I think it was Shay. Might not have been him though. But I remember like when HPU went away, like he had his ring and he said something like, you know, in five years, no one's going to know what this is. Like, it's not going to be a, like, no one's going to know what school this was. And it's like, yeah, crazy. Like one of the most dominant programs in the country just are gone. So go ahead. So fill, fill us in the blanks. So why, why did HPU go away? How, you know, yeah, then yeah. Let's talk about how we bring it back. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, like you said, uh, large co-ed won 10 years in a row. Um, the only team in the history of NCAA Daytona to ever win 10 years in a row. Navarro hasn't done it. Volvo hasn't done it. Uh, no one has done it. It's just HPU. Multiple championships and small co-ed, all girl, group stunt, partner stunt. The mascot was winning. It was just everybody was winning. So in 2011, <laughs> Sharky's up there holding a trophy. Yeah. So in 2011, the university had a new president and <laughs> there were, that was the last year that large code had won. They got back from Daytona. So excited to have a meeting with the president. What's it about? We just won our 10th title in a row. The president says there's been budget cuts and we're completely cutting cheer and dance, um, both programs and no longer funding it, all of that, which was devastating and heartbreaking and crushed so many lives. Um, because it was just, it's one thing to be a really good program and then slowly start to fade away and die off and then you're not as good anymore. It's another thing to be at the pinnacle of cheerleading and then it just swept away. So that was tough because then they brought in acro and tumbling. So there was a lot of animosity between acro and tumbling and cheer because as far as alumni knew, acro and tumbling replaced cheer. And so one of my goals whenever I took over was mm -hmm. to help mend that relationship because no one here at the time had anything to do with any of that. So 2016, so they changed the school colors. We were the Sea Warriors um, and we were this blue and green. They changed the school colors and mascot to the Sharks. Um, and then in 2016, the university got a new president, John Gatanda, and he's been phenomenal. Um, I've met with him, uh, had meetings with him, talking about Daytona and what we want to do with the program. He's excited about it. He's supportive. He's awesome. I work hand in hand with uh, enrollment and admissions and university relations and um, all of these people because they're all willing to help. I just met with the marketing communications team to help build our brand, not only cheer, but just HPU in general. And our, and our goal is just because we're yeah. a private university doesn't mean we need to be private. Let's explode and go worldwide. Um, and so now we have a supportive president, which is great. 
all of the uh, other administrators are, are doing everything they can to help. So that, that part's really great. So that's when I was like, let's get to work. Let's get to work. I went on campus uh, after having nine athletes and recruited, or sorry, after having 11 athletes and recruited nine more. Um, and some were working on back handsprings and some had standing fulls and into fulls. Um, but the, the girls, some of the athletes that were coming in that had all this talent and stuff, they were freshmen, so they were 18 years old. Well, HP's been gone for 10 years, so they were seven or eight years old whenever HP was around, so they didn't know anything about it. And so I had 20 athletes. I was like, okay, I got to go to work. I got to get to recruiting. I went to NCAA Austria Nationals. I went to Daytona College Nationals, recruiting and signing athletes. I've been to all these gyms, reaching out, talking to coaches, owners, former uh, alumni sending me athletes and things like that. There's, I have a lot of support from a lot of the alumni, which is going to be instrumental in bringing the program back. Um, and, and if we're doing it, we're going to do it right. And so now I've got athletes. Now I have 50 people in the program, 50 athletes on the program. So from 11 to 50. Yep. And um, I have athletes coming from Navarro, Trinity Valley, Oklahoma State University transfers. Um, I've, re I've recruited athletes, trying to get athletes to come from Sweden, Spain, Canada, Australia. Um, just all these amazing programs. Dodge City, where Brewster is, who's an alum, um, is sending me athletes, which yeah. is great. So obviously, Monica and Dustin are doing everything they, they can to send me athletes. I trade with Vontae um, at Chair Athletics on Claw 6. So that he, I'm, I have a good relationship with him. Franklin's a good friend. I've known Franklin for many years. Vontae, Trinity yeah. Valley coach for everyone. Yeah, and Franklin. Uh, the other Tr Franklin, Trinity Valley coach yeah. as well. So yeah. I've known Franklin for many years. All right, we lost Ryan for a second. But since you're here, let's chat. If you love this show and you want to support the show, there's a couple of different ways that you can do that. In the show notes, there's a couple of links. First, there's a link to the survey. The survey is super simple. Tell us what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. That way, we can give you guys a show that you actually enjoy. Next, you can make a real-life financial donation for as little as 99 cents a month, and that would help us produce a better show for your listening pleasure. Shout-out to Sheila. Shout-out to my mother. Shout-out to Sarah. And shout-out again to our newest supporter, Caroline. We really, really appreciate you guys. But... Let's get back to the conversation. All right, so we lost you for a second, but I want to pick up here real quick. Um, if I'm an athlete or a parent and I'm interested, right? I'm a junior, I'm in high school. Let's say junior, sophomore, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm in high school or I have a high schooler. Uh, what? How do I get recruited or how do I go about this recruiting process to actually get to a school like HPU? Certainly, certainly. Um Obviously, my recruiting is a little bit different than most uh, in the fact that I can't just drive over to someone's school or all-star gym being in Hawaii. So I do a lot of remote recruiting. Um, <clears throat> I won't give away all of my methods because I feel I'm kind of killing the game at recruiting. But I will give away methods that will help athletes and their parents get exposed and get noticed. I see a lot of these combines and a lot of different companies are putting on these combines and stuff like that. That's one way. But... For me, honestly, that's not going to benefit me because I don't go to all of these combines. I've been invited to a couple, and I may, I may join some in the future. Um, I'm not against them at all. Any exposure is good exposure. I just, For me, my time is limited whenever I travel and do stuff. So if I'm going to these clinics, then some of them 
they're working to see how many push-ups you can do and sit-ups and sprints. And for me, that's not necessary stuff for me to see. I want to see you tumble. I want to see you jump. I want to see you stunt. Um, I want to see you throw a skill. If you don't land that skill, I want to see you push through and work on that skill. Um, so when I reach out to a lot of families and athletes, uh, that's what I look for is videos of the skills that they're doing. Um, but the best piece of advice that I can, some of the best advice I could give to athletes that are wanting to get recruited is I've seen a lot of people nowadays putting together a recruiting page, Instagram, which is a great idea. It is a great idea. One thing I will say that they should do that I'm noticing that not a lot are, it says their name recruiting or whatever, 2023, whatever it is. And then it's just a bunch of videos, um, which are great. But sometimes there's a link to their main profile. Sometimes it's private, whatever it is. If you do that recruiting page, then I would recommend putting picture, regular pictures of you cheering or whatever you're doing in your everyday life. So the coach is kind of an idea of what they're, what to expect. Because if you're just putting a bunch of videos from you tumbling from far away, we're, and some of them won't say, oh, I'm the base in this one. Or just send you to post a stunt video and go, who are you? Which are you, the flyer? Are you the back spot? So be a little bit more specific with that. Yeah. And then obviously if you're not going to do a recruit page, which I don't necessarily recommend, um, you can or you can't, doesn't matter. On your regular Instagram, that is your marketing tool. Put videos and, and reels on that of the skills that you're working on and your hardest skills you can do and just things, skills of you failing and then pushing through and succeeding with that skill because coaches can see your drive and your work ethic through those. I don't want to necessarily see all the best videos you got because I want to see the first time you tried it. And then I want to see the process you got to went through to succeed at it. That's going to tell me what I need. Um, if I want you to be part of my program, those kind of things. Uh, also I get a lot of videos from athletes of them doing stunts and things like that. One thing, another piece of advice, parents, athletes, please listen. Every single song you want to use has an edited version. It is a complete turnoff whenever someone sends me a video and it's just profanity left and right, or it's Cardi B talking about this or that. It's like, be smart. You are, you are selling yourself and promoting yourself and you may not even think about it, but be conscious of it. And I guarantee you, a lot of the people that are listening to this, they'll go on their social media and go, yeah, that's not, I shouldn't do that. My rule of thumb is on social media. Go ahead. No. Yeah. This is one of the first things I did, you know, when I was at CBU, I'd get a little recruit form. A kid would go and I would check out their skills and everything. And then right after that, I go to their social media and see what kind of kid they are and go, you know, we're, we're a private Christian school, right? right. And so I go and I, uh, no, this kid's not going to be a good fit here. Right. Cause you know, if they don't have the, the awareness not to put this on social media on a, and if I found it, it means it was a open page, right? Like, you know, I'm like, oh, this kid's not going to be a good fit here. Or this kid's going to give me a lot of trouble <laughs> in the future, right? So, yeah, man. Internet lasts, lasts forever. Yeah. Um, I now cut you the off. Internet is forever. Whether it's private or something, yeah. So let me ask you this. Um, Obviously, you know, we want kids. We want the – obviously, skill-wise, we're looking for the very best skills ever. But what are you looking for not necessarily skill wise, but what are you looking for in an actual athlete, like in the person? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Monica, when she was my coach, she did a lot of things that instilled in me uh, about character and integrity and 
and things like that. And I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that at work ethic and stuff like that. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that as an athlete, my entire career, I always gave it my all and I had the best work ethic. And I, I, that I, a lot of the times I did, but there were times where I failed and I, I took a playoff or I didn't work as hard. And, and I, the, the results showed. Um, but then as I grew as an athlete, I realized like if I can have the mentality of being the hardest working person in the room and everybody on my team has that mentality, we're going to be successful. When it comes to skills, skills are great, but they're kind of low man on my totem pole. I can teach you any skill you want to know. I'm looking for coachable, hardworking uh, student athletes that put the team first. I would rather go to Daytona every year and lose with really good people, really good people over going to Daytona and win every year with people that are bad apples Let's or bad attitudes go. or not supportive and things like that. Um, I used to say good. this all the time. Um, my coach, well, my coach said, and it took me a long time to understand what he meant by it. He said, but I would rather lose with the right team than win with the wrong one. And it wasn't until yeah. I was on a team or sorry, coaching a team that was super talented. And I just felt like you guys don't deserve this. You don't deserve to win this year. Right. Um, that made that, that really like solidified like what he meant when he said, I would rather lose with the right team than win with the wrong one. Cause you like, like you said, you'd rather just work with good people who want to work hard, who want, who are enthusiastic to come to practice, who are positive, all those things. So I completely co-sign. So parents, any athletes that might be listening, like coaches care about your character, your work ethic, the way you approach practice, right? Like we can coach kids to do, you know, whatever we want. And, and that gets a lot easier when you're a hard worker, right? You know, so, um, yeah, man. So I know I keep cutting you off, but I keep asking you're questions. Good. So I'll just ask this uh, next question. Um, you're good. I get this all the time. Um, or I used to get it all the time as a college coach. So these are like my frequently asked questions. Someone would say, hey, you know, and CBU, you know, we were pretty good. We won, when I was there, we won NCA four years in a row. I think they went on to win seven in a row and then just won again this year. Uh, so, you know, we had, we had lots of talented kids that cheered there and every year that someone to say, what if I get an email, what if I can't tumble, then what, you know, can I still try out or so I'll ask you the same question. What if I can't tumble? Yeah, certainly. <clears throat> um, so real quick, I'm going to go back to a little bit of the recruiting thing for parents and athletes. Clinics are fine. Going to a clinic, you're, you're put on a list of numbers. So they're your number, whatever. Reach out to the coach specifically, message them, email them, reach out on social media, introduce yourself, send them videos. But social media is that when someone messages me about something, about being interested in my program, I instantly go to their social media and their Instagram and see if they have videos to see, uh, this will segue into what we're talking about, to see what kind of skills they have. Um, because of my 50 athletes, I have two teams, 20 on a game day squad and 30 on a competition squad. And the competition squad's going to travel to Daytona and compete on the band show and do all of that stuff. So that's the skill level that I'm looking for there. You're looking at standing tucks, minimum standing tuck, runoff, handspring tuck, layout, fools preferred. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking for there. But I started the game day squad because I wanted all the other sports on campus to have support. Being a private university in Hawaii, there's just, we have, we don't have football. We just have, I believe it's like men's and women's basketball uh baseball softball volleyball soccer tennis golf uh acro and tumbling um 
I feel like I'm forgetting some, but they, I'm working with all the coaches. We have meetings every two weeks with the athletic director, all the coaches, and I'm just meeting with them one-on-one like, Hey, what can we do to help support you? I want cheerleaders at, at your events. So your athletes have support and I want them to bring the roommates from campus that don't cheer. So they have more support. And so they get that college experience of being at games and athletics and stuff. Obviously cheering at, volleyball and basketball is going to look a little different because you're going to be in uniform and sharing and doing all that stuff as opposed to soccer or baseball or something. They might just have on like an HPU cheer shirt and be there to support. Um, so I think that it's important that we do those things. And I want to get in the community with this team, uh, work with people like Special Olympics, uh, Make-A-Wish, all of those to build the, com- the relationship between the community and the university. Also, another benefit of this game-based squad that I have. They don't travel. They just do games and appearances. Um, but we're all sort of this, part of the same program. All 50 athletes are part of the same program. We're all going to get the uniform, shirts, bags, shoes, all of that stuff. Um, but it also allowed me to keep more local kids local and give them opportunities to cheer. Um, I have athletes coming yeah. in that didn't have the resources to get the skill level where they'll be competing on the bench on Daytona, but they're phenomenal at game day. And so I have athletes my team that every athlete on my team is phenomenal at something, whether you're on my comp squad or my game based squad, I handpick these athletes um, on purpose because of what they will bring to the table. So when it comes to people going, hey, I don't tumble, uh, well, there's a couple different options. First of all, my game based squad doesn't really have a minimum requirement for tumbling. Some have back handsprings, some have tucks, some have harder skills, but it's, they're going to be focused on game based stuff. Libs, stretches, extensions, you know, maybe some baskets for outside, um, but really just engaging the crowd and supporting the team uh, in whatever sport they're doing. Now, if they're an elite level. And we lost Ryan again, but I promise you guys that is the last time. But since we're here, if you guys have a question for the show, you can submit your questions by clicking the link in the show notes. Your questions drive the show. Be more. We'll be back soon enough and we'll get back to our regular format where it's just me, where it's just B, and we're just talking to you. So you leave your questions, link in the description, link in the show notes, and we'll get those questions answered for you on the show. But yeah, let's get back to uh, Ryan. All right, here we go. Lost you for a second, but you were talking about specialty people. Yeah, so in college, obviously, you're going to need back spots. You're going to need bases. You're going to need flyers. You're going to need partner set guys. You're going to need all those tumblers. So... I don't want people to pencil themselves into one corner because they can't do something. Um, obviously, the more positions you could do, whether it's fly, base, back spot, whatever, uh, the greater asset you would be to a team for your skills. But leadership is important. All those things are important. So if I have a team of, say, the 20 people on the mat or whatever, and one of my athletes, I, I need that person to base. and They don't have a full or they don't have a same tuck or whatever it is, but that's the only way that sun's hitting then that's, that's what's going to happen. And I think there's a, a common misconception in cheer, in college cheer, especially when it comes to like making mat and stuff like that. And Monica said it best that you, it's not the best 20 people on the team that make the mat. It's the best 20 people for the routine that make the mat. And that's when you got to do what you can to be a good teammate because what happens and you've seen it, we've all seen it. The people that didn't make the mat. There's two options you could choose. You can stay on the side and go, I should have made the mat and then start talking about all the other people that you should have made the mat over and be bitter about it and sit down and not do anything. Um, or you can get up and you can do reps on the side of what the team is doing. And then 
99% of the time, most teams, the first 20 people that pick are picked for the map are not the same 20 that compete because of injuries or skills not being able to hit, exactly. things like that. So the coach is going to go to the first person on the side that's been doing every single rep and working hard because they know they're A, in shape and ready for it, and B, they put in that time knowing there's a chance they were not going to get to do that. Um, and so actually – This happened every year when I was at CBU. Every year it happened at CBU. We picked the mat, right? We pick our 20, and there's always a kid who was like – right there would have been right there right she's the sixth flyer out of five right you know we have five on the mat right. and she's like number six and you know that kid's heartbroken and that kid would would quit that kid would quit and then someone like one of the five would get hurt or yep. you know had to go home because of whatever right and the kid who would have made mat you know was already gone they already moved back home or whatever and they just didn't have like you know, if they would have just stayed and it happened every single year where a kid either didn't make the team they wanted to make and they end up making like our game team. And so yeah. they end up quitting, but then someone on the competition team would quit or someone didn't make Matt and they'd quit and then someone else would hurt. So, you know, just a little bit of patience, perseverance, just a little bit of grit, you know, they would have been there. But just having zero fight in them to, you know, be on the sideline. You know, delayed gratification is the greatest indicator for success. So yeah. anyway, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so my, I think I want to say, yeah, my second year at Oklahoma State, um, they were picking Matt and I made Matt first year and it was fine. And second, second year, obviously I felt I was one of the top stunners at, you know, we had, we had amazing people on the team. Um, so I'm not sitting here saying that I was the best. I was pushed to be better because we had, I had other people on the team that were better than me, which was great. <clears throat> unfortunately at the university of Oklahoma, I didn't feel that way. So I, I, I got lazy and I got complacent and got out of shape and that's completely on me and for doing that. But it, when you lose motivation, it's hard to continue to want to do the things that, you know, you can. Uh, so anyway, my second year, we're getting ready to pick Matt for Oklahoma state and Leroy doesn't pick me. Leroy, Leroy puts other people on the mat and I'm standing on the side and I get all these feelings and thoughts go through my head. And I'm like, you know, like I could let it frustrate me or I could let it fuel me. Um, I could either be bitter or I could be better. And I, it, it took me a minute to sit there and think about it. And I said to myself, don't worry about it. You're, you're going to be on the mat. Keep putting in the work, keep working. And it was like the next day that he switched it out and put me on the mat. And <laughs> that may have been something that may have been something that Leroy was just trying to test me to see how I was, you know, how I would react to, you know, how I would react to being a good teammate or not a good teammate or getting angry or things like that. Leroy McCullough, for those of you that don't know, is also the team of, of the coach of Team USA co-ed. Um, so he's been in the industry for many, many years. And he's very, very intelligent and knows exactly what he's doing. So uh, whenever he does things like that, I, I didn't question it. I said, okay, we're going to look at Leroy's process and whatever he decides is what is going to be the best for the team. Not everybody does that. That was me at 24 years old, I think. If that would have been me at 19 years old, I'm not going to sit here and say that I would have reacted the same way. I may have been that bitter person on the side going, well, I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. But age brings knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Um, and you have these profound moments in your life that put you in a place where you go, I would have reacted completely differently five years ago. 
And now I understand as a coach, been in, I've been coaching for 20 plus years, but I've understood as a coach that everybody handles things differently. Every athlete is different. Every, you know, some, some athletes, you got to get on their butt a little bit more because they want that. They want you to do that so they can, so they can, you can push them and others. You got to, you got to be killing with kindness because they'll shut down and you got to be, that's part of our jobs as coaches. It's, it's 25% physical, 75% mental, figuring out how each athlete from the little ones all the way up to college, um, how they need to be coached. That doesn't mean I'm, I have favorites or anything like that. I coach them all. I coach the team the same way and everybody's held to the same standard. I don't do favorites. I don't care if you have a hundred million followers on Instagram or you just started your Instagram. We're all on the same level playing field. Um, I character is important to me. Teamwork is important to me. We need to support each other and build each other up. Um, I coach my team. So my athletes don't need to coach my team. I, I will give them the feedback that they need, but we're going to stay positive. So we build each other up instead of tear each other down. Yeah. Mentality is super important to me being strong mentally. I'm actually going to bring in, um, a mental health coach, mental health professional that, uh, named Jen, that is, that's what she does for a living. She actually worked with Stingray's Orange uh, this past year before Worlds, and I believe she's worked with Weber, um, just to get them in the right mindset mm -hmm. um, and working together and being cohesive. So I want my athletes to always know and understand that they can come to me for anything. They can talk to me about anything. And if they don't feel comfortable talking to me about it, I'll get them with a female coach or a female counselor or something that they do feel comfortable talking uh, to about it. <laughs> mental health is extremely serious and extremely important and we don't talk about it enough. I feel like it's, it's taboo and shunned. We shouldn't talk about mental health wrong. We should absolutely talk about mental health way, way more. We should be open about it. We should be upfront about it. We should help each other way more in that aspect. And that's why I'm bringing in a mental health coach to let everybody know that they have resources. They have people that are on their side that, you know, if they're starting to feel a certain way, talk to somebody um, and know that there are people that are there that will listen, that can mentor them, no judgment, uh, anything like that. So uh, the year after I left HPU, I cheered with this guy named Carl Benghart on HPU. And the year after I left, I was actually at NCAA staff camp uh, at Denton at UNT. And Matt Kelly, shout out to Matt freaking Kelly, um, calls me and he says, he says, hey, did you hear about Carl? I was like, no, what's going on? He's like, he committed suicide. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, they, they found him in his apartment. Um, and that just broke me because yeah. he was the happiest, nicest guy in the world, big teddy bear. He had just posted on social media that he had just – uh, found out about his credit score and how it was great. And it was on his birthday that it happened, I believe. Um, and no one saw any signs. No one, everyone looked back like we should have seen the signs. You just don't always see it. Yeah. So I'm going to uh, instill programs to where with my athletes to where they kind of have a buddy system to where accountability buddies is what I'm going to call it. And they're going to have someone that will reach out to them occasionally just to see how it's going and say, Hey, are you doing all right? And if they say yes, great. If you ever need to talk, let me know. Hey, are you doing all right? I'm struggling a little bit. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to, do you want to go back and forth and talk about it? Or you want to just talk and let me listen. Yeah. And sometimes just talking about it, will get it off your chest and you'll feel a lot better about it. We've got to stop being reactive with all of these situations and start being proactive with these situations. 
um, whenever I recruit and talk to parents, I want the parents involved in the recruiting process every step of the way, because then I can tell them all the information and it's not going to an athlete and then turn around, going to a parent. Um, and then it's, the information gets mixed up. Mm-hmm. So whenever I talk to them, you know, I say, you know, my athletes will sign a contract every year that talks about our minimum GPA that we will require them to have. Um, they will go to class, they will pass. Uh, but also social media will be important because we're one of the largest entities on campus at 50 athletes. We're going to be one of the faces of the university and we're going to be in the community and doing all of these things. So your social media will have to be clean um, and, and presentable because people are going to notice you across campus or across town going, I want them to go, Hey, that's a cheerleader. Not, Hey, that's a cheerleader, you know? Um, And so whenever I talk to parents, I let them know, let them know about the, the importance of the mental health aspect of it. You could be as physically strong and talented as you want to be and be the strongest in the world. But if you're mentally weak or you're not mentally healthy, you're not going to be successful. Um, So skills are great, but I want people to buy into the program that we have. And whenever I'm recruiting, honestly, I tell athletes and their parents, look at a couple different places, look at a couple different options, reach out to the coach, talk to them about their program, talk to other people from the program. Because when, if, and when you decide to join Hawaii Pacific university cheer program, it's going to be because you had these other options that you looked at and this is what you want to do. Yeah. It's retention is super important to me. It wouldn't, it wouldn't make me do me any good to lie to a parent or an athlete. They get out here, they don't like it. And then they leave in a year. I'm back to square one with recruiting. Sure. I tell them the good, the bad, the ugly of Hawaii. So you can make the best decision for you. Um, so that's kind of where we're at with the program there. Uh, we have been working on a lot of things for sponsorships and things like that. I got a sponsor for uniforms, backpacks, uh, t-shirts, practice wear, custom shoes, uh, things like that. And whenever I'm working with these companies, I have, I have nothing against Rebel or Varsity or any of these large companies, and we may work with them in the future. I, I, I want to say that now because I don't want people to be like, oh, Ryan said this. That's not it at all. I worked for NCA for 10 years. Obviously, NCAA Daytona is the, the competition of all competitions. Um, but whenever I was reaching out to people, when HPU hits Daytona this year, it's going to be game over. The floodgates are going to open and people are going to come. So I wanted to work with people that um, wanted to be part of it whenever it was getting started back up. Uh, and so I reached out to uh, a woman named Candace, and she works – she's the – I think the brand manager for – um, our national sales manager for No Limit Shoes. They do custom shoe shoes, and they do all of Top Gun and TGLC's custom shoe yep. shoes. And we start, we set up a meeting with uh, Sydney and University Relations here at HPU, who's been phenomenal and pivotal pivotal for the program. Let me just give her a shout out right now. She's done all these meetings with me. She explains everything to them. We're getting the sponsorships left and right because she is putting in the work to advocate for HPU cheer. So I am forever grateful for Sydney Hieronymus. Thank you so much. Um, but when I spoke with Candace, we had like an hour long Zoom, hour and a half long Zoom meeting and just kind of our, our everything aligned with our, what we want with the program and the direction. And she was talking about that Victor Rosario, the owner of Top Gun, he designed the shoe called the Vero for them. And it's the special cheer shoe that he designed. And I said, obviously knowing Victor and Chris Rosario for many years and being in the industry, they do things the right way. And they're very well respected. They, their, their character is, is phenomenal. They're just icons in the industry. And so I said, if, 
if they put their name on no limit, then I want HPU's name on no limit as well. Yeah. Um, and so she, she um, <laughs> she's done an amazing job customizing these high tops and low tops uh, for our team. And they're looking to potentially help us with beach cleanups and other things like that to where it's not just a, Hey, let's sign this contract. I'll see you in a year when we sign another one. It's a, Hey, let's work throughout the entire year to do these events and possibly sponsor a, a scholarship or whatever it is. Um, and I like that. That's what that aligns with our program. And that's what I want. So that's who we're going with through uh, for shoes. But obviously being in the industry for 20 years, I've, I've no, I've, you know, Garen Gosnell uh, with global, they're actually doing our uniforms and our backpacks uh, full circle. Garen was my coach at HPU. Um, so that's how he's helping give back to the, the program as well. Uh, and then also Andrew Rodriguez cheered at Trinity Valley and Navarro and Louisville. Uh, so he owns a company called Elusive. Yeah, they do our and shirts. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna they're, they're sponsoring us for practice wear and stuff like that. And a lot of it's a lot of it's kind of new for some of the companies for us with our partnership and relationship. So we're still figuring out what exactly we want to do with all of that. But I did want to give a shout out to uh, those companies um, with Global and uh, No Limit and <coughs> excuse me, uh, Elusive, Elusive, yeah. And those companies have been really instrumental in helping us. Um, we have great we have great partnerships and sponsorships with them, so really excited about that. Uh, as a coach, I guess I could talk to myself a little bit, talk about myself a little bit as a coach in my style. Um, I hold my athletes to a high standard. We, you know, we're going to show up to practice. We're going to get the work done. We're going to enjoy doing it and have fun. Um, but we're going to be prepared. We're going to be prepared for Daytona. We're going to be prepared for games. I know what I'm good at. Obviously, coaching wise, stunts, baskets, pyramids tumbling, all of that stuff. I also know what I'm not good at. I'm not going to do your choreography. I'm not going to teach you your dance. Um, so I'm actually bringing in one of the best of the best, uh, Dawson Delgado, who does Navarro's routine and I believe tech and Weaver. Yep. Um, he's been a friend of mine for many years. I've known him in the industry for many years. And when I reached out to him, he was like, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm excited about that um, because I was in Daytona last year, like I said, recruiting and being close with Monica uh, and Dustin uh, at Navarro, I'm sitting there looking at their score sheets, and it's like tens, 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 and I'm like, that that's what I want. <laughs> so as a coach, I'm going to train our program and our competition team, especially to have the skill and ability to put out a phenomenally talented, skilled routine, and then we're bringing Dawson in to choreograph that routine to where it will hit the score sheet in a way that we are successful in all aspects of it. I'm not one of those people that uh, – have to do it all by myself so I get all the credit. That's not me at all. I, it's amazing what we can accomplish if no one cares who gets the credit. And so it's going to... wooden. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and so that's, that's important to me. And uh, another quote that we were talking about a little bit earlier about good people and things like that, a quote that I heard from an interview from Mike Tyson not too long ago. He said, I don't want to be a great person. I want to be a good person. He said, great people are people that can do the hardest stuff in the world with a simple of ease. But he wants to be a good person. And that's what I want in my program is good people. We'll train them to be talented. We'll train them to do those great things. But I'm looking for good people. And you know what? Hawaii is not for everybody. Living on an island is not for everybody. Being part of a program where it's team first, if you come from a place where you've been the best your whole life um, and you can't buy into the team atmosphere, I understand. Um, but HPU may not be for you. I will be happy to get you in contact with other coaches and programs of friends that I know um, if that's what you're interested in 
And that's my thing too. I, I feel I wouldn't have gone to college if it weren't for cheer. Um, so it's my job, I feel, and duty and responsibility to get these athletes to college. And I have an athlete that I worked with this past year for about a year and a half coaching, um, doing stunt privates. She wanted to go to Navarro. And I said, if you put in the work and you're willing to work hard, I will help you. And so she did and tried out for Navarro and she made it. She's going. And then there's two girls this year. Um, that girl's name is JJ, one of the hardest workers I've had as an athlete. And two girls this year, uh, Tasia and McKenna Ching, they both want to go to Weber, they're seniors. Um, and I said, okay, if you want to put in the work, then we will put in the work and get you to a point where you can join and make those programs. Both of them have standing full, toe full, full to fulls, working bounding skills, stuff like that, but extremely hard workers. Um, and so I told them the best thing to do is not to go to a clinic, it's to go to Weber. Go to Utah, meet the coaches. I'll introduce you, Matt Torres, shout out Matt Torres, um, who's the assistant coach now. Summer's the head coach, I met her in Daytona, she was extremely nice but I've known Matt for many years and a lot of my other friends that are still cheering there. Um, I was, I said, go to Weber, set it up, do a tour of the campus, meet the coaches, meet the team, stunt with the team. And then that's better than going to a clinic because then they know that you're there for that. So they, they did just that a couple of weeks ago and boom, after the first lesson, they, they sent it with Matt and Matt messaged me and say, these girls are phenomenal. They're, they're amazing. They're going to look good in purple. And I knew that the way that I was training them, because they wanted to do the back handspring double ups and the hand skis and all that stuff. I was like, look, I'm 35 years old and my knees are saying no. So we did the, the rewinds, the rewind landing stretches, hand in hands, extended hand in hands, back handspring ups, front handspring ups, full ups. I taught them, drilled them over and over and over again, technique, because they don't need to be able to do it on me. They need to be able to do it on everybody. And that's how I coach mm -hmm. the technique. And so they get to Weaver to visit and they're doing front handspring one and a half ups, double ups, one to ones, all of these skills, because I knew that training the fundamentals for them would allow them to have such good technique that they would easily be able to hit those skills with guys that are better than me, guys yeah. that are younger than me, guys that are in much better shape in their prime. Matt Torres, two-time defending NCUCA partner stunt champion. So it's like, these are, I knew that that's how it would go. And they were nervous and they weren't sure, um, but the coaches fell in love with them. Athletes did. They fell over the program, and it's things like that when people are like, "Why are you training these athletes to go to other places? And don't you want them to cheer at HPU?" Absolutely, I would love for every athlete to cheer in my program, but I know that's not a reality. And I want athletes to go where they truly want to go. Um, and yeah, for sure. if they were born and raised here, if they were born and raised here. If they want to go off the island for a couple of years, I get it. Um, but it's our duty and it's our job as coaches to never hold anybody back or leave anybody behind. Um, and that's when it comes to placing athletes on teams, you got to do it the proper way. So that's kind of what we're looking for as athletes yeah. and uh, mentally strong people to work together. Dude, so let me ask you this, you know, cheer for whatever, you know, all-star cheer is huge. High school cheer, surprisingly even bigger, but there's so many, you know, youth athletes in cheerleading you know, especially even if we just look at all-stars, there's so many great talented all-star kids out there, but not a lot of them end up cheering in college and college is just such a special place for cheerleading. You know, I loved cheer when I was an all-star, but I like really fell in love with cheer when I started cheering in college. So give me your take yeah. on 
why you think kids aren't cheering in college the way they used to. And then like, and then, and then tell me like some of your most special, like what makes college cheer so special and why kids should experience it? Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> to answer your first question, I think the easiest uh, way to answer it is burnout. These kids get too good, too fast. They, they go to summit and they win and then they go to worlds at 12 years old and then they win. And then, then it's not as prestigious and it's not as big of a deal. Um, it used to be whenever you were a sophomore, or junior, or senior in high school, you got to go to Worlds and compete, and that was huge. And the perfection before progression is not happening in our industry the way that it was. Everybody wants to get these athletes as good as they can, as fast as they can, and that's not the smartest way to do it. You should do it in a way that progresses your athletes at a pace that they are comfortable with, and you may push them past a little bit, a little bit past that. But if you if you want to talk about mental blocks and things like that, a lot of that comes from they train too fast to get these skills, and they're too powerful, and they don't know how to control that power. When I work with athletes that are mental about uh, certain things, uh, or they're scared or things like that, the first thing we do is we take a step back and go backwards. Let's let's work on your roundoff. Let's work on your roundoff handspring. Do you feel how in control you are of that? We don't have to do two-step hurdle. We can do power hurdle so you can feel it again and get comfortable with it. But, yeah, I just think that in the industry, they're just like, okay, oh, you did a standing tuck? Sweet. Start working on standing fools. Oh, you did a round of hands layout? Do a full this time. Okay, now try and twist twice. And it's it's those basic building blocks mm -hmm. that starts with the handstand that not enough people are focusing on. I always say the hardest – my hardest part of coaching for me is not teaching skills. It's unteaching bad habits that were taught – or let go by previous coaches. It's so hard. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think getting getting to a place where college can be prestigious again, well, it is prestigious. Getting to a place where more people want to do it, I think is going to come down to, I think a lot more are going to do it now because of the cheer show came out and then all of that. Um, but what you see is a lot of turnover with coaching in college. Um, and I think a lot of that is a lot of coaches have to work two jobs because cheer is just not seen as a sport or NCAA and things like that. Um, and so I feel like some coaches do it for a while and then they go, you know what? The juice isn't worth the squeeze anymore. Um, so I feel like that's, that's, that's a big thing is coaching. Obviously I'm passionate about what I do, so I'm going to put my everything into it. Um, but I think, coaches reaching out and, and, and doing more recruiting and stuff to get kids excited. I, I have a lot of seniors, a lot of people wait till senior year, then they're behind the eight ball and then they make a quick decision. Oh, I want to go here, I guess. And then that's the first choice that they chose and they don't like it. Start when you're a sophomore, start when you're a junior, start when you're a senior, send coaches uh, progress videos. And then I, I, like I said, I recruit quite a bit and I want to do things like, <laughs> FaceTime with athletes when they're in the gym with their coaches and their team to see what they're working on to get other athletes excited about college as well. Not even just my program, but in general. If, if athletes want to go to college, but they don't want to go to my program, that's okay. Go to college, cheer in college. It doesn't matter if you do it at my program or another program, get excited about it because there's so many opportunities that a lot of people just don't feel uh, that they can make a team yeah. or whatever it is. One of the biggest things I get more than anything, are videos of flyers. doesn't matter the size of the base or the size of the flyer. I get a million videos of flyers. And I get a couple of bases of back spots. Not a couple. I get more than that. But 
I feel that a lot of bases and back spots take themselves completely out of the equation because they go, well, I don't fly, so I don't, I don't even need to send a video. I can't try out. Nothing could be further from the truth. If I have a team of all flyers, who's going to hold them in the air? You know, so bases, back spots, tumblers, if you're out there listening, go for it. Trust yourself. Trust the process. Work yeah. hard. Send your videos. You don't have to be a flyer to be successful, you know, and it takes it takes the whole team to do the pyramid. If one person isn't built right for the routine, then the pyramid's going to fail. That takes everybody. So don't give up on your dreams. Don't doubt kills more opportunities and dreams than failure ever will. And trust yourself. Go for all, The worst that a coach can say is no. Hey, can I try out? Or would I be on your team? Here's my skills. No. And I hate that our industry is like that because then – you know, kids get discouraged. I'm a person that's like, hey, I don't feel that it'd be the, the you'd be the best fit for my program for whatever reason, but let's help you find another place. Um, I also yeah. uh, do letters of intent. I carry letters of intent with me everywhere I go to where I can sign an athlete on the spot. Um, <laughs> it just like it's, literally, yo, you, right literally. There. The thing about it is, <laughs> hey, yeah, you, no, not you, the other kids. Scary months. <laughs> literally, because it's like. And the reason I do it is because it's a national letter of intent with the, the logo, letterhead, all that stuff from the university. I sign it. The athlete signs it. The parent signs it. The athletic director signs it. It's, we're not NCAA, so it's not a legally binding contract. If they decided, hey, I don't want to go to HPU anymore. This is what I, I decided to go somewhere else. Then they would just let me know and they could go do that. But the, the benefit that I found with signing the letters of intent, and I may be giving away some secrets to some of my uh, coaches out there. Uh, but the main benefit for the athlete is they have a guaranteed spot on my team that following season. So if I have 75 athletes and I've signed one person, I don't have 75 spots available. I have 74 because that one person already has that spot. So once, like I said, once we go to Daytona and the floodgates open, everybody's going to want to try out. So I'm reaching out and recruiting athletes that I feel would be good for my program that want to buy in now. Um, I'm, I don't pressure them to sign it a letter of intent or anything like that. I just tell them that that's an option. Um, and then the benefit for me for the, having them sign a letter of intent is generally other coaches won't recruit them once they've already signed with a program. Um, they'll do a big signing at their gym or their high school mm-hmm. with HP stuff, balloons, all that stuff with their parents. And it's just a really great way for them to be recognized for all the hard work that they've put in to get to the next level. And I say, yeah. I say generally coaches won't um, recruit recruit them if they've been signed but unfortunately in our world in our industry not everybody has that integrity i would never reach out to another athlete that was part of another program except for like a junior college or something that they could come afterwards um and actively recruit them away from cheering at a program to come and cheer at mine there are athletes that are part of other universities that don't cheer that i'm like hey would you like like this opportunity and i've had that happen recently um but unfortunately some coaches out there will we do, they do it in all-star too, recruit other, other athletes. Um, and I hate to see it, but you just got to be fair and honest with the kids and the parents uh, and answer the questions. And they get so excited about it. I've, I've had a lot of commits recently because I talked to them and had these conversations with their parents and their parents are going, that's really far away. But after talking to you for an hour, I feel comfortable sending my child to you. All right. So give me those best memories in college. Or Gosh. give me what makes college cheer so special. Like, why is college cheer a place people need to be a part of? 
Daytona for me is the best competition in the world. I was blessed to have been on Wildcats at Show Athletics for four years, uh, won Worlds twice with them. I was on Claw 6 for two years, won Worlds 2018 with them. I want to know, maybe you can do the research on this. What's the largest age gap between winning Worlds for your first time and your last time? Because I was 18 the first time in 2006 and then 31 years old in 2018. So, and then in 2009 again, but that's like, they pulled me out of retirement and Garen was like, actually Kim, his wife was my step partner. Garen's like, Hey, do you want to come out of retirement and be on claw? And I was like, no, no, I'm old. I'm, I'm, I've been retired for five, six years. He's like, you can, you can sell with Kim. She could be your partner. And I'm like, what time is practice? I just like something with Kim. She's a, she's a good partner, but I've enjoyed all of, all of being in college. So some of the greatest things is being on the band show is the greatest feeling in the world. I went off on this tangent about sure. worlds because I love worlds and it was great, but there's no feeling like music ending crowd going crazy on the band show. That is the, that is yeah. the end all be all feeling. Um, and so that those, those are important. And then I have a bond with a lot of my teammates, but especially every stunt partner I've ever had in my life. I'm still friends with to this day. And we still talk regularly. Some that I, I reach out to every once in a while, or they reach out and others we're in group chats that we chat daily. And those memories that you have and the bond that you create is, is like no other bond that I've ever had in any other sport that I've ever played. Um, and they, they will be your best friends. They will, you know, be with you through the tough times, uh, hard times, good times. It's the only thing that's truly co-ed as far as boys and girls being on the same team, really. Um, you just go through so much. You will grow as a person being a college cheerleader far more than you ever will as any all-star or club or rec or high school team. You will have bonds and you have teammates and you have things like that, which is great. But in college, you are all on the same schedule as far as you all got to go to school. You all got to go to practice. You all got to do those same things and have the same commitments. And that's why you bond together as, as teammates. Yeah, for sure. That's a, yeah, it's just, it's such a special place. It really, at college cheerleading, it's just, it's, it, one, the band shell is awesome. The band shell really is. It's like, it's the greatest place to compete. You're absolutely right. It is the greatest place to compete in the entire sport and and the bonds you just make like like you said you're all going to school together you're in classes together you live with half of your teammates um you know you you have practice every day and it's just such a great time where you're just always together right and you're always and you're always together in your early 20s where you're just not always making the smartest decisions you know and so you're with all these other reckless people, right? right? Just all of the time. It's just such a cool, yeah. it's just such a cool time in life and college, you know, college cheerleading. So anyone out there, college cheerleading, I really comes highly recommended. It really is a, is a great time. So Ryan, um, dude, let's wrap up with this, man. How can the people, if people want to get in contact with you, they're, they, they listen, they're like, Hey, this is the guy I need to be cheering for. This is the guy I want my son or daughter to cheer for. How can they get in contact with you? How can they follow you? or the program online, just how can we stay connected? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of different ways. First of all, I will plug our Instagram. It's just HPU cheer. Um, follow our journey, follow us along. We have a lot of big things coming up. We have a phenomenally talented team. Like whenever I, whenever I took over, my goal was to get it back to where it once was. And I know it's going to be a process, but when I started recruiting athletes, I was like, okay, we can get there. And then as recruiting picked up and more of these people started coming, from these larger places like Top Gun and Show Athletics and Church Stream and all this stuff, and even smaller gyms that had phenomenal athletes uh, that were good people, it's happening this year. The team we're taking to Daytona, it's going to be, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be legendary. 
So um, HPU Cheer on Instagram. You could email, you can message me there, private message me there. Text me or call me at 808-213-8141. Or you can email me at rajohnson, so R-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N at hpu.edu. Those are some of the ways that you can reach out. And like I said, parents, kids, athletes, if you have questions, message me on Instagram. Let's let's, let's get a chat going. Uh, Talk to you about my program. Talk to you about other programs. If you want to look at other programs, we can help you get connected there as well. There we go. He's Ryan Johnson bringing HPU back. Ryan, you're welcome back anytime. Best of luck in Daytona this year, man. Appreciate your time. And thanks again for thinking about our program and helping us build this dynasty back up. Let's go. Ryan, thank you so much for joining the show. You were a great guest, and I'm excited to see HPU hit the band shell once again. All right, guys, share this podcast, leave a five-star rating, leave a review, take the survey, leave a donation, ask a question. Until next time, five, six, seven, eight, we're out. Hey, let's talk cheer podcast listeners. Although this episode has come to an end, there are a few other cheer podcasts out there that you can add to your weekly routine. If you're a gym owner or gym director and want to dive more into the business side of things, then check out the Connecting People and Profits podcast with host Dan Cotton. If you're a former cheerleader and want to hear the success stories from other former cheer athletes after their cheering days are done, then you'd love the Life After Cheer podcast with host Danielle Donovan. And if you want to hear the stories of the best athletes in the industry doing it at the highest level and their perspective on how to change the narrative of the sport, then the Spill the Cheer podcast with Tony G is for you. Check one of them out. Check them all out. And I'll see you guys next week. Hey, guys. I really hope you enjoyed today's show. Do me a quick favor. Hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about this podcast. It's a great way for you to show your support for the channel. I'm your host, Jason Larkins, and you've reached the end of Let's Talk Cheer with Jason. Thanks for listening.